Chapter 13 Leviathan and Behemoth The book of Revelation is a covenant document. It is a prophecy like the prophecies of the Old Testament. This means that it is not concerned with making, quote, predictions, unquote, of astonishing events as such. As prophecy, its focus is redemptive and ethical. Its concern is with the covenant. The Bible is God's revelation about his covenant with his people. It was written to show what God has done to save his people and glorify himself through them. Therefore, when God speaks of the Roman Empire in the book of Revelation, his purpose is not to tell us titillating bits of go gossip about life at Nero's court. He speaks of Rome only in relation to the covenant and the history of redemption. Quote, we should keep in mind that in all this prophetic symbolism we have before us, the Roman Empire as a persecuting power. This apocalypse is not concerned with the history of Rome. The beast is not a symbol of Rome, but of the great Roman world power, conceived as the organ of the old serpent, the devil, to persecute the scattered saints of God." Unquote. The most important fact about Rome, from the viewpoint of Revelation, is not that it is a powerful state, but that it is a beast in opposition to the God of the Covenant. The issue is not essentially political, but religious. Compare comments on 11.7. The Roman Empire is not seen in terms of itself, but solely in terms of 1. The land, Israel, and 2. The church. The Beast from the Sea, 13, 1 through 10. 1. And I was stationed on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. 3. And I saw one of his heads as it had been smitten to death, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole land wondered after the beast. 4. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? 5. And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and authority to make war for forty-two months was given unto him. 6. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, those who tabernacle in heaven. 7. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. 8. And all who dwell on the land will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. 10. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance 
in the faith of the saints. 1 through 2. St. John tells us, just as he had ascended to God's throne room in order to behold the heavenly world, 4 1, compare Ezekiel 3 14, 8 3, the Spirit is now stationed him on the sand of the sea, the vantage from which he is able to view the beast coming up out of the sea. In a visual dramatic sense, the mighty Roman Empire did seem to arise out of the sea, from the Italian peninsula across the ocean from the land. More than this, however, the biblical symbolism of the sea is in view here. The sea is, as we saw in 9, 1-3, associated with the abyss, the abode of the demons, who were imprisoned there after having been expelled from the garden. The abyss is the, quote, deep, unquote, of Genesis 1-2, quote, without form and void, unquote, uninhabitable by man. It is away from the dry land of human environment and is the place where the demons are kept imprisoned as long as men are faithful to God. When men apostatize, the demons are released. As man is progressively restored, the evil spirits are sent back into the abyss. Luke 8, 26-33 Here we see the ultimate source of the, quote, beastliness, unquote, of the beast. In essence, he comes from the sea, from the chaotic, deep, and darkness of the abyss, which had to be conquered, formed, and filled by the light of the Spirit. Genesis 1-2, John 1-5. This is not to suggest that there was any real conflict between God and his creation. In the beginning, everything was, quote, very good, unquote. The sea is most fundamentally an image of life, but after the fall, the picture of the raging deep is used and developed in scripture as a symbol of the world in chaos through the rebellion of men and nations against God. Quote, the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud, unquote. Isaiah 57, 20. Compare Isaiah 17, 12. St. John is told later that, quote, the waters which you saw are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, unquote, 1715. Out of this chaotic, rebellious mass of humanity emerged Rome, an entire empire founded on the premise of opposition to God. The beast has ten horns and seven heads, a mirror image, compare Genesis 126, of the dragon, 12.3 who gives the beast his power and his throne and great authority. The ten crowned horns, powers, of the beast are explained in 1712 in terms of the governors of the ten imperial provinces, while the seven heads are explained as the line of the Caesars, 1793-11. Nero is one of the, quote, heads, unquote. We must keep in mind the logical distinction already drawn between sense, the meaning and associations of a symbol, and referent, the special significance of the symbol as it is used in a particular case. The connotation of heads and horns are the same in both the dragon and the beast, but they refer to different objects. In a nightmarish parody of the biblical high priest who wore the divine name on his forehead, Exodus 28, 
The beast displays on his heads blasphemous names. According to the Roman imperial theology, the Caesars were gods. Each emperor was called Augustus, or Sebastos, meaning one to be worshipped. They also took on the name Divus, God, and even Deus and Deos, God. Many temples were erected to them throughout the, the empire, especially as we have noted in Asia Minor. The Roman Caesars received honor belonging only to the one true God. Nero commanded absolute obedience and even erected a 120-foot-high image of himself. For this reason, St. Paul called Caesar, quote, the man of sin, unquote. He was, St. Paul said, quote, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, unquote. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-4. St. John emphasizes this aspect of the beast. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God. 13, 5-6 The Christians were persecuted because they refused to join in this idolatrous emperor cult. The Roman Empire is further symbolized as a ravenous, ferocious animal, untamed and under the curse. St. John says the appearance of the beast was like a leopard, with feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like the mouth of a lion. Quote, the three animals thus combined by the writer symbolize swiftness and ferocity in springing upon the prey, tenacity in holding it and dragging it away, and a ravenous appetite for devouring, unquote. These are also the very animals, listed in reverse order, used to describe the first three of the four great world empires in Daniel 7, 1-6, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Compare Daniel's description of the same empires under a different symbol in Daniel 2, 31-45. The fourth empire, Rome, partakes of the evil, beast-like characteristics of the other empires, but is much worse. Quote, Behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns, unquote. Daniel 7.7 7. This, as we noted at 12.3, is the origin of the dragons, and thus the beasts, ten horns and seven heads. The three heads of beasts one, two, and four, plus the four heads of beast three, Daniel 7, 6. The beast of Revelation is clearly the Roman Empire, which, quote, combined in itself all the elements of the terrible and the oppressive, which had existed in the aggregate in the other great empires that preceded it. Its extension, too, was equal to them all united." Unquote. The beast, however, is not just an institution, but a person. Specifically, as we shall see, it is the Emperor Nero. This is because, particularly the way the Bible looks at things, the two could be considered as one. Rome was, to some extent, covenantally identified with its leader 
as the human race was with Adam. The empire was embodied and represented in the reigning Caesar, Nero. Thus, St. John's prophecy can shift back and forth between them, or consider them both together under the same designation. And both Nero and the empire were sunk in degrading, degenerate, bestial activities. Nero, who murdered numerous members of his own family, including his pregnant wife, whom he kicked to death, who was a homosexual, the final stage in degeneracy, Romans 1, 24-32, whose favorite aphrodisiac consisted of watching people suffer the most horrifying and disgusting tortures, who dressed up as a wild beast in order to attack and rape male and female prisoners, who used the bodies of Christians burning at the stake as the original, quote, Roman candles, unquote, to light up his filthy garden parties, who launched the first imperial persecution of Christians at the instigation of the Jews in order to destroy the church. This animalistic pervert was the ruler of the most powerful empire on earth, and he set the tone for his subjects. Rome was the moral sewer of the world. 3-4 through four. And I saw one of his heads as it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. Some have pointed out that, after Nero was killed, the rumor began to spread that he would rise again and recapture the throne. In some way, they suppose, St. John must be referring to this Nero Smith. This, it seems to me, is a very unsatisfactory method of dealing with scripture. St. John mentions the beast's, quote, death wound, unquote, three times in this passage. See verse 12, 14. Clearly, this is much more than a casual symbol, and we should attempt a biblical explanation for it. The beast, as we saw, resembles the dragon. The fact that he receives a head wound should make us think of the scene in the Garden of Eden when God promised that Christ would come and crush the dragon's head. Genesis 3.15 Daniel had prophesied that in the days of the Roman rulers, Christ's kingdom would crush the satanic empires and replace them, filling the earth. Accordingly, apostolic testimony proclaimed that Christ's kingdom had come, that the devil had been defeated, disarmed and bound, and that all nations would begin to flow toward the mountain of the Lord's house. Within the first generation, the gospel spread rapidly around the world to all the nations, Churches sprang up everywhere, and members of Caesar's own household came into the faith. Philippians 4.22 In fact, Tiberius Caesar even formally requested that the Roman Senate officially acknowledge Christ's divinity. For a time, therefore, it looked as if a coup were taking place. Christianity was in the ascendant, and soon would gain control. Satan's head had been crushed, and with it the Roman Empire had been wounded to death with the sword. See 13.14, the Gospel. But then the tables were reversed. Although the Gospel had spread everywhere, so had heresy and apostasy. And under persecution by the Jews and the Roman state, great masses of Christians began falling away. 1 Timothy 1, 3 3-7, 19-20, 4-1-3, 6-20-21, 2 Timothy 2, 16-18, 3, 1 through 9, 13, 4, 10, 14 through 16, 
Titus 1, 10 through 16, 1 John 2, 18 through 19. The New Testament gives the definitive impression that most of the churches fell apart and abandoned the faith under Nero's persecution. The church seemed to have been stamped out entirely. The beast had received the head wound, the wound unto death, yet it still lived. The reality, of course, was that Christ had defeated the dragon and the beast. But the implications of his victory still had to be worked out. The saints had yet to overcome and take possession. Compare Daniel 7.21-22, Revelation 12.11. And the whole land wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to make war against him? St. John is not speaking of the world, the, quote, earth, unquote, following the beast. The word he uses here should be translated land, meaning Israel. We know this because the context identifies his worshipers as those who dwell on the land. Revelation 13, 8, 12, 14. A technical phrase used 12 times in Revelation to denote apostate Israel. See above on 310. It is true, of course, that Nero was loved all over the empire as the benevolent provider of welfare and entertainment. But it is Israel, in particular, which is condemned for emperor worship. Faced with the choice between Christ and Caesar, they had proclaimed, We have no king but Caesar. John 19.15 Quote, With this cry, Judaism was, in the person of its representatives, guilty of denial of God, of blasphemy, of apostasy. It committed suicide, unquote. Their reaction to Caesar's apparently victorious war against the church, Revelation 11.7, was awe and worship. Israel sided with Caesar and the Roman Empire against Christ and the church. Ultimately, therefore, they were worshiping the dragon. And for this reason, Jesus himself called their worship assemblies synagogues of Satan, Revelation 2.9 and 3.9. 5-7. Again, St. John draws our attention to the beast's blasphemies against God, compare 13.1. Specifically, he says, the beast seeks to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, those who tabernacle in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20. We are enthroned there in Christ, our representative. Ephesians 1.20.2.6. And as we have seen, the church's official worship takes place in the heavenlies, with myriads of angels and festal assembly. Hebrews 12.22-23. Compare comments on 8.1-2. In contrast to those who reject the faith, who, quote, dwell on the earth, unquote, the new covenant people tabernacle in heaven around the throne of God. In the same breath, therefore, St. John tells the church of both the beast's cruel opposition to them and their certainty of protection around the throne in the heavenly court. Alexander Schmenman has beautifully drawn attention to the nature of worship as the church's weekly ascension to heaven. 
Compare Exodus 24, 9 through 11, 34, 1 through 8, 29 through 35, Mark 9, 1 through 29. Quote, the early Christians realized that in order to become the temple of the Holy Spirit, they must ascend to heaven, where Christ is ascended. They realized also that this ascension was the very condition of their mission in the world, of their ministry to the world. For there, in heaven, they were immersed in the new life of the kingdom. And when, after this, quote, liturgy of ascension, unquote, they returned into the world, their faces reflected the light the joy and peace of that kingdom, and they were truly its witnesses. They brought no programs and no theories, but wherever they went, the seeds of the kingdom sprouted, faith was kindled, life was transfigured, things impossible were made possible. They were witnesses, and when they were asked, quote, whence shines this light, where is the source of its power, unquote, they knew what to answer and where to lead men. In church today, we so often find we meet only the same old world, not Christ and his kingdom. We do not realize that we never get anywhere because we never leave any place behind us, unquote. The beast was given authority to act for 42 months and to make war with the saints and to overcome them. As I observed above, see comments on 11.2, the period of 42 months, or three and a half years, a broken seven, is a symbolic figure in prophetic language, signifying a time of trouble, when the enemies of God are in power, or when judgment is being poured out while God's people wait for the coming of the kingdom, as we have already noted, the beast oppressed the old covenant saints for 42 generations, according to Matthew 1, 1-17. Its prophetic usage is not primarily literal, although it is interesting that Nero's persecution of the church did in fact last a full 42 months, from the middle of November 64 to the beginning of June 68. This period of 42 months thus corresponds, but is not necessarily identical, to the 42 months slash 1260 days of 11, 2 through 3, and the, quote, time, times, and half a time, unquote, of 1214. During the time of the beast's triumph, he wields authority over the fourfold earth, every tribe and people and tongue and nation. This was true of the Roman Empire, as it was true of beast in general. Satan ruled, quote, all the kingdoms of the world, unquote, Compare Matthew 4, 8-9, as their, quote, prince, unquote, John 12, 31. Compare Daniel 10, 13, 20. His authority was, quote, legal, unquote, after a sort, since Adam had abdicated the throne. Yet it was illegitimate as well. The church fathers make much of the fact that the second Adam won back the world from Satan's dominion by just and lawful means, and not by force. 8. St. John repeats what he has told us in verse 3 through 4. All who dwell in the land, that is, the apostate Israelites, will worship him. We must remember that the Bible speaks of worship in terms of both official liturgical adoration, a, quote, worship service, unquote, and everyday practical allegiance and obedience. 
When faced with the practical choice between Caesar and their Lord, the Jews chose Caesar. Idolatry, worship of the creature rather than the creator, is the mark of the one whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. From the beginning, the wicked have been predestined to damnation. This is not only unnecessarily correlative to the biblical doctrines of God's sovereignty and his unconditional election of his people, see for example Acts 13.48, but it is explicitly taught as such in Scripture, see Proverbs 16.4, Matthew 11.25, Mark 4.11-12, John 12.37-40, Romans 9.13, 11, 7 through 10, 1 Peter 2, 7 through 8, Jude 4, Revelation 17, 8, 17. God's heavenly church membership role has existed from the foundation of the world, eternal and immutable. From the viewpoint of God's eternal decree, therefore, these circumcised covenant breakers who worship the beast have never been included in the book of life. Those who seek to excommunicate the followers of the Lamb are themselves locked out of the covenant instead. 9-10 through 10. St. John interrupts his description of the beast worshippers to exhort his readers to pay close attention to what he is going to say next. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. The probable origin of this expression is a reference to the, quote, circumcision, unquote, or boring open of the, quote, home-born, unquote, slave's ear, representing covenantal death and resurrection, rebirth and renewed obedience to the word of the master. See Exodus 21, 5-6, Deuteronomy 15, 16-17, Psalm 40, 6-8. He then declares the doom of the followers of the beast, of those who dwell in the land. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. St. John is quoting loosely from Jeremiah 15.2, a verse that occurs in an extended passage detailing God's rejection of Jerusalem. Jeremiah is instructed not to pray for the nation because they have been destined for destruction. Jeremiah 14.10-12 in fact, even if those great intercessors, Moses, compare Exodus 32, 11-14, Numbers 14, 13-24, and Samuel, uh, compare 1 Samuel 7, 5-9, 12, 9-15, were to pray for them, God says he will not hear, Jeremiah 15, 1. There will be no place to hide from the judgment. And when the terrified people asked, quote, where shall we go, unquote, Jeremiah was the answer, those destined for death to death, and those destined for the sword to the sword, and those destined for famine to famine, and those destined for captivity to captivity. Jeremiah 15.2, compare 42.11 in context. In language reminiscent of Jesus' foreboding words to the woman of Jerusalem, Luke 23.28-31, Jeremiah goes on to describe the coming destruction of the land, Jeremiah 15, 
reminding his readers of this passage and its historical fulfillment in the destruction of Jerusalem and the first temple by the Babylonians, 587 B.C. St. John hammers home the certainty of the coming judgment on the apostate Jews of the first century, those who are in league with the beast in persecuting the saints. The wicked cannot escape. They have been destined for captivity and the sword. Confidence in God's government is of the essence of the patient faith to which God's people are called. We are to place our trust not in man, not in the evil machinations of diabolical conspirators, but in God, who is ruling the world for his glory. His judgment will surely come. The patient expectation of this is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. The Beast from the Land, 13.11-18 through 18. 11. And I saw another beast coming up from the land, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the land and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. 13. And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the land in the presence of men. 14. And he deceives those who dwell in the land because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell in the land to make an image to the beast who has the wound of the sword and has come to life. 15. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. 16. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. 17 that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. 11. Just as the beast from the sea was in the image of the dragon, so we see another creature who is in the image of the beast. St. John saw this one coming up from the land, arising from within Israel itself. In 1613 and 1920, we are told the identity of this land beast. He is the false prophet, representing what Jesus had foretold would take place in Israel's last days. Quote, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Unquote. Matthew 24, 5, 11. The rise of the false prophets paralleled that of the Antichrists. But whereas the Antichrist had apostatized into Judaism from within the church, the false prophets were Jewish religious leaders who sought to seduce Christians from the outside. As Cornelius Vanderwall has noted, quote, In scripture, false prophecy appears only within the covenant context. Unquote. It is the imitation of true prophecy and operates in relation to the covenant people. 
Moses had warned that false prophets would arise from among the covenant people, performing signs and wonders. Deuteronomy 13, 1-5 It is important to remember that Judaism is not Old Testament religion at all. Rather, it is a rejection of the biblical faith altogether in favor of the pharisaical Talmudic heresy. Like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Unification Church, and other cults, it claims to be based on the Bible, but its actual authority comes from the traditions of men. Jesus was quite clear. Judaism denies Christ precisely because it denies Moses. John 5, 45-47 Orthodox Christianity alone is the true continuation and fulfillment of Old Testament religion. See Matthew 5, 17-20 15, 1 through 9, Mark 7, 1 through 13, Luke 16, 29 through 31, John 8, 42 through 47. The Jewish false prophets had the appearance of a lamb, as Jesus warned, quote, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves, unquote, Matthew 7, 15. This is a reference not only to the false prophet's disguise as a member of God's flock, but to his specifically messianic pretensions. In reality, he was a wolf, a beast, who spoke as a dragon. How does the dragon speak? He uses deceptive, subtle, seductive speech to draw God's people away from the faith and into a trap. Genesis 3, 1-6, 13. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Revelation 12.9 Furthermore, he is a liar, a slanderer, and a blasphemer. John 8.44, Revelation 12.10 The book of Acts records numerous examples of draconian false witness by the Jews against Christians, a major problem for the early church. Acts 6, 9 through 15 13, 10, 14, 2 through 5, 17, 5 through 8, 18.6, 12 12-13, The Jewish leaders, symbolized by this beast from the land, joined forces with the beast of Rome in an attempt to destroy the church. Acts 4, 24-28, 12, 1-3, 13-8, 14, 5, 17, 5 through 8, 18, 12 through 13, 21, 11, 24, 1 through 9, 25, 2 through 3, 9, 24. Thus the land beast exercises all the authority of the first beast. Quote, As the first beast is the agent of the dragon, so the second beast is the agent of the first beast. All the authority makes the second beast the complete agent of the first." Unquote. Apostate Judaism became completely subservient to the Roman state. This is emphasized by St. John's statement, repeated in verse 14, that the false prophet exercised the beast's authority in his presence. This is in direct contrast to the function of the true prophet, who stood, quote, before the face of the Lord, unquote in God's presence, under his authority and blessing, 1 Samuel 1, 22, 2, 18, 
1 Kings 17.1. Compare Numbers 6.24-26, Hosea 6.2, Jonah 1.3.10. Just as the seven trumpet angels are said to, quote, stand before God, unquote, 8.2, the prophet was privileged to enter God's throne room in the glory cloud as a member of the heavenly council where the divine policy was formulated. Compare Exodus 33, 8-11, 1 Kings 22, 19-23, Jeremiah 23, 18, Ezekiel 1, 10, Amos 3, 7. This is also indicated in the fact that prophets are called angels. 2 Chronicles 36, 15-16, Haggai 1, 13, Malachi 3, 1. Quote, the true prophet lives in the presence of God, taking his orders from him and doing his pleasure. The false prophet stands before the beast, whose interpreter and servant he is, unquote. That such a thing could ever be said of the religious leadership of Israel, the people of the covenant, shows how far they had fallen from the faith of their fathers. They led Israel in worship of the emperor, making the land and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. A counterfeit resurrection of a counterfeit son. Interestingly, it is the resurrection of the beast that is given here and in verse 14 as the reason for worship. Just as Christian worship is ultimately founded on the resurrection of Christ as the proof of his messianic character and office, 1 Corinthians 15. The counterfeit resurrection of Rome served as Israel's false testimony, their, quote, proof, unquote, that Christ was not the Messiah. 13 through 14. The false prophet also performed great miracles in the service of the empire. Unlike the powerless false prophets of Baal, he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth. Thus, this false Elijah deceives those who dwell on the land. Jesus had warned that, quote, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as, as to mislead, if possible, the very elect, unquote, Matthew 24, 24. And this was fulfilled numerous times as the period of Israel's, quote, last days, unquote, progressed to its climax. The book of Acts records several instances of miracle-working Jewish false prophets who came into conflict with the church, compare Acts 8, 9-24, and worked under Roman officials, compare Acts 13, 6-11. As Jesus had foretold, Matthew 7, 22-23, some of them even used his name in their incantations, Acts 19, 13-16 in imitation of the biblical prophets who call down God's fiery wrath against apostates and lawbreakers, Leviticus 10, 1-2, Numbers 16, 28-35, 1 Kings 18, 36-40, 2 Kings 1, 9-16, Amos 1, 3-2-5, Revelation 11, 5. The Jewish leaders appeared to exercise God's judgment against the church, excommunicating Christians from the synagogues and persecuting them to the point of death. Again, St. John underscores the apostate condition of these Jewish prophets by observing that they performed their wonders in the presence of men and in the presence of the beast, 
rather than, quote, for the throne and before the Lamb, unquote. 7.9. Compare 3.5.4.10.5.8.7.11.15.8.2.11.4.16.14.3.10.15.4. The perversity of Israel's leadership is such that they encourage those who dwell on the land, the Jewish people, to make an image to the beast, as Nebuchadnezzar had erected an image to himself, Daniel 3. Before we can make a full identification of this image, it will be necessary to examine the religious background and context in which it is set. The depth of Israel's apostasy must first of all be seen in the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true God and Savior, in favor of Caesar. St. John reveals this in its true light as idolatry. Compare 9.20. It is not necessary to suppose that the Jews literally bowed down to a graven image. The point is that they were worshipping and serving an alien god. Some would object that the Jews were never guilty of, quote, idolatry, unquote, after the exile. In answer, we repeat again Herbert Schlossberg's excellent summary of the essence of idolatry. Quote, Idolatry, in its larger meaning, is properly understood as any substitution of what is created for the Creator. People may worship nature, money, mankind, power, history, or social and political systems instead of the God who created them all. The New Testament writers in particular recognize that the relationship need not be explicitly one of cultic worship. A man can place anyone or anything at the top of his pyramid of values, and that is ultimately what he serves. The ultimacy of that service profoundly affects the way he lives. Unquote. Moreover, it is clear that the post-exilic prophets did consider the Jews of their own day to be idolaters. Compare Zechariah 13, 1-3, Malachi 3, 5-7. The idolatrous character of apostate Israel is assumed throughout the message of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul specifically accuses the Jews of lawlessness and apostasy in Romans 2. In verses 21-22, through 22, he says, quote, You, therefore, who teach another... Do you not teach yourself? You that preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Unquote. Clearly, St. Paul is charging apostate Israel with committing idolatry, or its equivalent. It is crucial to note that all the accusations in Romans 2 refer to Israel as a whole. Obviously, if they applied only to a select few, his argument would have no force. Since he also accuses them of committing adultery, it is at least possible that he has in mind, quote, religious, unquote, adultery against their true husband, Jesus Christ. In general, commentators have supposed the charge of idolatry to mean either that the Jews were guilty of robbing from heathen temples, for example, St. Chrysostom, Henry Alford, John Murray, Compare Acts 19.37, which indicates that the Jews may have been considered liable to this offense, or that they were committing, quote, sacrilege, unquote, in a more general sense, 
by their impiety, irreverence, and unbelief. For example, John Calvin, Charles Hodge, compare 1 Samuel 15.23, Nehemiah 13.4-12, Malachi 1.6-14, Colossians 3.5. What is not generally noticed is that the whole list of crimes in Romans 2.20-23 is taken from Malachi 2-3, indicating that the charge of, quote, robbing temples, unquote, and thus of idolatry, is related to the Israelites' failure to tithe, their refusal to honor him as God. Compare Matthew 15, 7-9. God says through Malachi, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How are we robbing thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Malachi 3, 7-9 A good part of the Westminster Larger Catechism's definition of idolatry, virtually every word of which is abundantly referenced to Scripture, is applicable to the religious character of Israel during the last days. Quote, the sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, and any wise approving any religious worship not instituted by God himself. Tolerating a false religion. All superstitious devices, corrupting the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it whether invented and taken up of ourselves or received by tradition from others, though under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, or any other pretense whatsoever, simony, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering and opposing the worship and ordinances which God hath appointed, unquote. Compare Matthew 15, 3-9, Acts 13, 45, 1 Thessalonians 2, 15-16. The essential point for our purpose is simply that St. Paul is accusing the Jewish people of some sort of idolatry. It is certainly a broad enough term to cover their rejection of Jesus Christ. 15-17 The extent of the false prophet's demonic power is such that he is able to give breath, or spirit, to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak. While some have argued that this refers to some trick of machinery or ventriloquism, and thus a seeming refutation of Psalm 135, 15-16, the idols of the nations have mouths, but they do not speak, unquote, it is more likely that the passage of the whole is intended to convey the idea of an apostate Jewish attempt to recreate the world. In the beginning, when God created the earth, he gave breath slash spirit to his image and placed him in his garden temple. Genesis 2, 7-8 And the first thing we, we see the image doing is speaking, naming and defining the creation in terms of God's mandate. Genesis 2, 19-20 The beast's spirit-inspired image itself is able to cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. 
the Jewish synagogues in forced submission to the emperor. Indeed, their leader's charge against Christ himself was that he was a rival to the all-embracing authority of Caesar. John 19, 12-15 Similarly, the organized economic boycotts against those who refused to submit to Caesar as Lord. The leaders of the synagogues, quote, forbidding all dealings with the excommunicate, unquote, and going so far as to put them to death. And he causes all. Note the six categories, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the freemen and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. The book of Acts is studded with incidents of organized Jewish persecution of the church. Acts 4, 1 through 3, 15 through 18, 5, 17 through 18, 27 through 33, 40, 6, 8 through 15, 7, 51 through 60, 9, 23, 29, 13, 45 through 50, 14, 2 through 5, 17, 5 through 8, 13, 18, 17, 20, 3, 22, 22 through 23, 23, 12, 20 through 21, 24, 27, 26, 21, 28, 17 through 29. Compare 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16. All of this ultimately served the interests of Caesar against Christ and the church. And the, quote, mark of the beast, unquote, of course, is the satanic parody of the, quote, seal of God, unquote, on the foreheads and hands of the righteous. 312, 7, 2-4, 14-1. The mark of wholehearted obedience to the law in thought and deed. Deuteronomy 6, 6-8. The mark of blessing and protection. Ezekiel 9, 4-6. The sign that one is holy to the Lord. Compare Exodus 28.36. Israel has rejected Christ and is, quote, marked, unquote, with the seal of Rome's total lordship. She has given her allegiance to Caesar and is obedient to his rule and law. Israel chose to be saved by the pagan state and persecuted those who sought salvation in Christ. The New Testament gives abundant testimony of this fact. The Jewish hierarchy was involved in a massive, organized attempt to destroy the church by both deceit and persecution. In pursuit of this diabolical goal, they united in conspiracy with the Roman government against Christianity. Some of them were able to perform miracles in the service of Satan. All this is exactly what is told us of the beast from the land. The false prophet of Revelation represents none other than the leadership of apostate Israel who rejected Christ and worshipped the beast. There is an interesting reversal of imagery in the text. The book of Job has prepared us for St. John's prophecy, for it too tells us of a land beast, behemoth, 
Job 40, 15-24, and a sea beast, Leviathan, Job 41, 1-34. In the Greek Old Testament, which the early church used, the Hebrew word behemoth is translated terion, the same word St. John uses for beast, and Leviathan is translated dracon, dragon. But St. John's visions expand on Job's descriptions of these dinosaurs, and the order of their appearance is reversed. Job first saw the behemoth, Job 40, then Leviathan, Job 41, and finally God, Job 42. In Revelation, St. John shows us the demonic reverse of this pattern. First we see Satan as the dragon, the Leviathan, then comes the sea beast who is in the dragon's image. Finally, trailing behind and serving them, comes the land beast, in the image of the sea beast, bringing along yet another image of the beast. By listing the beasts in reverse order, St. John underscores his point. Israel, which was to have been a kingdom of priests to the nations of the world, has surrendered her position of priority to Leviathan and the beast. Instead of placing a godly imprint upon every culture and society, Israel has been remade into the image of the pagan anti-Christian state, becoming its prophet. Abraham's children have become the seed of the serpent. During three years of ministry in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul continually suffered persecution because of, quote, the plots of the Jews, unquote, Acts 20, 19. In describing his conflicts with them, he called them, quote, wild beasts, unquote, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. The Jewish beast was the early church's most deceptive and dangerous enemy. St. Paul strenuously warned the church about Judaizers who propagated, quote, Jewish myths, unquote. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed, unquote. Titus 1, 14, 16. We are now in a position to attempt a more precise identification of the image of the beast, which is a continuation of the satanic counterfeit, the demonic reversal of God's order. Just as the Son of God is the image of the Father, John 1.18, Colossians 1.15, so the Church has been redemptively recreated as the image of the Son, Romans 8.29, Ephesians 4.24, Colossians 3.10. The vision of the prophetic, priestly, and dominical church seen by St. John parallels that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like her Lord, she is robed in glorious light. Compare 113 13-16, 10-1, 12-1, 19-6-8, 21-9-22, 5. Assisting the Son in his work throughout Revelation are the seven stars-slash-angels of the Presence, 8-2, led by the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits connected with the angels in 3-1. The divine order is thus, Father, Son, image of the Father, angels-slash-bishops, Church, image of the Son. The satanic parody of this is, Dragon, beast, image of the dragon, 
False Prophet, Synagogue of Satan, Image of the Beast. Throughout the book of Revelation, the church speaks liturgically, and the angels then act in history to bind and loose by trumpet and chalice, bringing judgment on the disobedient. Similarly, the synagogue, quote, speaks, unquote, and the false prophet brings its false judgments upon those who defy its authority. The church has been resurrected, brought to life by the very spirit slash breath of God. 11.11, compare Genesis 2.7, John 20.22. The synagogue of Satan was animated by a spirit slash breath as well. 13.15, and just as the angel of God marked the foreheads of the righteous for protection, 7.3, so the beast's, quote, angel, unquote, stamped the wicked with its own branding mark of evil. The leaders of Israel worked to enforce worship, not of the true God, as in the Christian churches, but of the synagogue itself, the image of the beast. 18. It was by now clear to St. John's readers that the sea beast was the Roman Empire. St. John now provides his readers with an identification of the beast in a very different form. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. As we shall see, 666 is the numerical value of the name Nero Caesar. While this is a convenient and so far as it goes, perfectly correct solution, it also poses several problems. If the beast is to be identified with the Roman Empire as a whole, rather than with Nero alone, does this not change the, quote, number of the beast when another Caesar is on the throne? Moreover, is this not merely an example of, quote, newspaper exegesis, unquote, using first century newspapers? The answer is that Nero's name is not the primary reference of 666. Rather, the number of the beast is based on several strands of biblical data, which point ultimately to the Roman Empire. The name Nero Caesar by no means exhausts the significance of the riddle. The Bible itself gives us enough information to allow us to identify Rome as the beast, the fulfillment of 666. We begin with the simple number six, which is associated with both beast and man from the beginning, as they were both created on the sixth day of the week, Genesis 1, 24 through 31. Six days out of seven are given to man and beast for labor, Exodus 20, 11 through 8 through 11. The Hebrew slave was in bondage for six years before his release in the seventh year, Exodus 21, 2. Six Cities of refuge were appointed for the accidental slaying of a man. Numbers 35, 9 through 15. Six is thus the number of man, that is, a human number. Lenski explains, quote, John writes the number not in words, but in Greek letters. Key equals 600. Psi equals 60. Sigma equals 6, thus 666. 
This is the number 6 plus its multiple by 10, namely 60. Again, plus its multiple by 10 times 10, intensified completeness, namely 600, thus 666, three times falling short of the divine 7. In other words, not 777, but competing with 777, seeking to obliterate 777, but doing so abortively, its failure being as complete as was its expansion by puffing itself up from 6 to 666. 6 is thus the number man was born with, the number of his creation. The repetition of the number reveals man in opposition to God, trying to increase his number, attempting to transcend his creaturehood. But try as he might, he can be nothing more than a six or a series of sixes. And this is exactly what we see in scripture, as apostate man attempts to deify himself. Goliath, the ancient enemy of God's people, is as tall as, quote, six cubits and a span, unquote, 1 Samuel 17.4. That is six, plus a hand grasping for more. The head of his spear weighs 600 shekels of iron. Goliath is, on several counts, a beast. As the seed of the dragon, he wears scale armor, 1 Samuel 17.5. But the seed of the woman destroys him by inflicting a head wound, 1 Samuel 17.49-51. Another striking example of this pattern takes place when King Nebuchadnezzar erects an image of himself measuring 60 cubits high and 6 cubits across, Daniel 3.1. The impact of this is magnified when we consider that the numerical value of the Hebrew letters in Daniel 3.1, which describes Nebuchadnezzar's image, add up to 4,683, which is 7 times 666, 4,662, plus 21, the triangular of 6. Triangulation will be explained presently. A brief digression here will serve to place this point in its larger symbolic framework. For, in contrast to the multiplied sixes of Nebuchadnezzar's image, the names of Daniel and his three friends who refused to worship the idol add up to 888 in Hebrew. This is also the number of Jesus in Greek. The fall of man occurred on the seventh day of creation, man's first full day of life. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, spent the seventh day in the grave to pay for Adam's sin. His resurrection took place on the eighth day, which becomes the replacement Sabbath for the new creation. Austin Farrer comments, quote, Jesus rose on the third day, being the eighth of that week. He is the resurrection and the life, for eight signifying resurrection See 1 Peter 3.20-21 and 2 Peter 2.5. But the third day on which Jesus rose is third from that sixth day, Friday, on which Antichrist had his apparent triumph. So if Christ has a name valuing 888, Antichrist should have a name valuing 666. Farber expands on this point. Quote, why should Antichrist be so emphatically six? 
The whole arrangement of the apocalypse explains this. The divine work with which it deals is a work of judgment. It is judgment which has the sixfold pattern of the working days, and always on the sixth day there is the culmination of judgment. On the sixth day of the week, and at the sixth hour, says St. John, John 19, 13-22, Revelation 13, 16-14-1, the kingdoms of Christ and Antichrist looked one another in the face in Pilate's court, and the adherents of the false prophet, Caiaphas, firmly wrote on their foreheads the mark of the beast, when they said, We have no king but Caesar. Presently they saw the Lamb uplifted with his true name over his head, King of the Jews. And for all they could do, they could not get it erased. What I have written, said Pilate, I have written. Christ's Friday victory is the supreme manifestation also of Antichrist. Unquote. There is an interesting mathematical property of the number 666, which would not have escaped St. John's readers. 666 is the triangular of the square of 6. That is, the square of 6, 6 times 6, is 36. The triangular of 36 is 666. Triangulation is a method of computation that was popular in the ancient world, and very familiar to people in the first century, but it has been largely forgotten in our day. It works like this. These diagrams, both of which have six units on each side, show that 36 is the square of 6, while 21 is the triangular of 6. If we extend the triangle one more line, we would get the triangular of 7, 28. Another line would give us the triangular of 8, 36. Extending it all the way up to 36 lines results in a number 666. The number of the beast, therefore, is a full, quote, exposition, unquote, of the number of man. But there is more. If we were to strip off the outer edge of 15 stars in the triangle above, we would be left with a, quote, triangle within a triangle, unquote, made up of six stars. One could therefore say that the triangular 21 is the, quote, filling in, unquote, or fulfillment of 15, the number of units in the outer triangle or periphery. Now, the triangular 666 contains 12 of these triangles, one inside the other, with the outermost triangle made up of 105 units. Thus, the triangular 666 is the, quote, fulfillment, unquote, of 105. This brings us to the interesting part, for the factors of 105 are 30 times 3.5. Three and a half years of twelve months in each year and thirty days in each month equals the twelve hundred and sixty days, the period of the beast's triumph. Austin Farrer explains six hundred and sixty six, therefore, is a twelve fold triangle with a periphery of thirty times three and a half. The coincidence between this reckoning and the factors of the six hundred and sixty six triangle is no mere accident. St. John's reckoning of the period is artificial, devised for the sake of conformity with the factors of the 666 triangle. There neither is nor was any calendar in which three and a half years are three and a half 
times 12 months of 30 days each. The purpose of the artificial reckoning is to exhibit the beast's fatally limited reign as a function of his number. F.W. Farrer described how the first readers of the Revelation would thus have regarded the mysterious 666. The very look of it was awful. The first letter was the initial letter of the name of Christ. The last letter was the first double letter, S.T., of the cross, Stauros. Between the two, the serpent stood, confessed with its writhing sign and hissing sound. The whole formed a triple repetition of six, the essential number of toil and imperfection. And this numerical symbol of the Antichrist, 666, stood in terrible opposition to 888, the three perfect eights of the name of Jesus." Unquote. More than all this, the number 666 is explicitly mentioned in the Book of the Kings and the Chronicles, from which, as we have seen, St. John takes many of his symbolic numbers. See comments on 4.4. These inspired historical writings tell us that Solomon, a biblical type of both Christ and the beast, received 666 talents of gold in one year, at the height of his power and glory. 1 Kings 10.14 2 Chronicles 9.13. That number marks both the high point of his reign and the beginning of his downfall. From then on, everything goes downhill into apostasy. One by one, Solomon breaks the three laws of godly kingship recorded in Deuteronomy 17.16-17. The law against multiplying gold, 1 Kings 10.14-25. The law against multiplying horses, 1 Kings 10, 26-29, and the law against multiplying wives, 1 Kings 11, 1-8. For the Hebrews, 666 was a fearful sign of apostasy, the mark of both a king and a kingdom in the dragon's image. As we have already noted, the ancient languages used each letter of the alphabet as a numeral as well. Thus, the, quote, number, unquote, of anyone's name could be computed by simply adding up the numerical value of its letters. Clearly, St. John expected that his contemporary readers were capable of using this method to discover the beast's name, thus indicating again the contemporary message of Revelation. He did not expect them to figure out the name of some 20th century official in a foreign government. At the same time, however, he tells them that it will not be as easy as they might think. It will require someone, quote, who has understanding, unquote. For St. John did not give a number that could be worked out in Greek, which is what a Roman official scanning Revelation for subversive content would expect. The unexpected element in the computation was that it had to be worked out in Hebrew a language that at least some members of the churches would know. His readers would have guessed by now that he was speaking of Nero, and those who understood Hebrew probably grasped it instantly. The numerical values of the Hebrew letters in Neron Kaiser, Nero Caesar, are... The page has a list of Hebrew letters, with the first one indicating 50, the second 200, the third 6 the 4th, 50, the 5th, 100, the 6th, 60, the 7th, 200. 
Thus, and it gives the letters all together, equals 666. As I mentioned earlier, the point is not that Nero's name is the primary identification of 666. The point is, instead, what the number meant to the churches. St. John's biblically informed readers who have already recognized many clear indications of the beast's identity as Rome. Indeed, they already knew this from reading the book of Daniel. Now Nero has arrived on the scene as the first great persecutor of the church, the embodiment of the, quote, 666-ness, unquote, of the empire. And lo and behold, his very name spells out 666. It is significant that, quote, all the earliest Christian writers on the apocalypse, from Irenaeus down to Victorinus of Petau and Commodian in the 4th, and Andreas in the 5th, and St. Beatus in the 8th century, connect Nero, or some Roman emperor, with the apocalyptic beast. Unquote. There should be no reasonable doubt about this identification. St. John was writing to 1st century Christians, warning them of things that were, quote, shortly, unquote, to take place. They were engaged in the most crucial battle of history against the dragon and the evil empire which he possessed. The purpose of the revelation was to comfort the church with the assurance that God was in control, so that even the awesome might of the dragon and the beast would not stand before the armies of Jesus Christ. Christ was wounded in his heel on Friday, the sixth day, the day of the beast. Yet that is the day he crushed the dragon's head. At his most powerful, St. John says, the beast is just a six or a series of sixes, never a seven. His plans of world domination will never be fulfilled, and the church will overcome through her Lord Jesus the 888 who conquered on the eighth day. The page now gives a table of numerals in use during the biblical period. It gives the table from 1 through 800. But after 10, it's uh, in tens, and then after 100, it's um, every 100.